This is the Bible Book Club, where each episode we dive deep into the only book written 2,000 years ago that can still change your life today. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Welcome to law school. I'm Professor Heather, and I'm here with (laughs) Professor Susan, and we are going to be your guides through this next book. That's Leviticus. Now, last episode, we just kind of did an overview of Leviticus. Today, we're actually going to start reading Leviticus, but don't worry, because really, we no need to overcomplicate this book. It just comes down to two things. Love God, love people. That's what the Israelites were being taught by God and by Moses when all of these laws were written down. Love God, love people. And also, there's a better way, and it's coming. In fact, for you, it's already here. But for them, they were needing that encouragement probably if they were reading this. There's a better way coming. Uh, they didn't know it then. And that brings us to another important point to to recognize. This would have been the very first book that the Israelites would learn, that they would start to read when they went to Hebrew school. (laughs) It's the last book any of us read. And in fact, if you're intimidated by Leviticus, you are not alone. We were very intimidated by this book. We almost contemplated not reading this book. We wanted to skip it. (laughs) But all scripture is God-inspired. And so we're reading it. And actually, there is a lot of reason to study Leviticus, because love God, love people. That's all you need to remember as we go through this. Oh, maybe a few more things. We're going to spend a few weeks here, but we are going to try to move quickly. So today we're actually going to cover three chapters of Leviticus because we know some of you want to get onto the narrative. So we are uh, co- going to cover for the next seven chapters. Remember that outline we did? Ritual sacrifice and specifically laws on offerings. So diving in chapter one, laws on offerings. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Okay. I love this verse. There is a very important link between Exodus and Leviticus that is lost in translation. The word that's lost is the word and, A-N-D. And it ties the two books together, which we don't read. Like you just said, you said the Lord called Moses. But really, in Hebrew, there was an and in there. If we were to read it as intended, it would have been like this. Exodus 40, 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and the Lord Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. The phrase and the Lord called unto Moses is used as an introductory formula on the three different occasions when the Lord had a special communication to Moses. So the first time was in Exodus 3, 4. The Lord called to Moses from the burning bush and told Moses he was going to use him to save the Israelites from Egypt. The second was in Exodus 19, 20. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 24, 16, the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. And Moses spent the first 40 days with him and received the instructions for the tabernacle, the place where God would dwell among them instead of on Mount Sinai. And here we are. God is now calling Moses from the very tabernacle or tent of meeting that he had had them built in the last call he gave them. And God is going to give Moses the instructions for how the Israelites are to worship in the tent of meeting. 
So that one little word that ties Exodus with Leviticus is super important because it would have told the Israelites, just as it should tell us today, that something big is about to happen because he is calling to Moses. All right, here is the first thing we're going to learn about the laws on offerings. These are for the people. So these first laws are about offerings for the people specifically. Chapters one through six contain laws for the people on how to present the five main types of offerings. They are the burnt offering, the grain offering, the fellowship offering, the purification offering, and the reparation offering. We will have a chart of these offerings in the show notes. And I'm using one from Tyndale that includes what was offered, how it was offered, if anyone got portions from the offering, and the purpose of the offering. So some of this was covered in Exodus. And so is this just God elaborating on some of the some of those things that we already read in Exodus? Yeah, he's going to elaborate and this all specifically applies to purifying the temple for the most part and making it possible for them to be there with him. To have that communion relationship with God. Correct. All right. The first one we're going to cover is the burnt offering laws for the people. The Israelites made this offering for atonement or to underscore prayers or praise. Now, remember, atonement means reparation for an offense. So that was the purpose of the burnt offering. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. All right. There's going to be three levels. I know you only mentioned two, herd or flock, but there's really a third. We'll get to it. Three levels of expense here, depending on the offerer's affluence. You could could sacrifice something from the herd, which would be a cow, and that is obviously the most expensive. Or you could sacrifice something from the flock, which would be a goat or sheep. Or you could sacrifice a bird, which would be the least expensive. As a whole, the burnt offering was the most expensive of all the offerings because all of it went to the Lord. No portion was set aside for the priests or the people. So here is a description of a burnt offering from the herd. Verse three, if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you already offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. The laying of a hand on the head established a relationship between the offerer and the animal. The animal was making the atonement for the offerer. The Hebrew verb to make atonement is kipper, which I mentioned last episode, and it communicates two ideas, ransom for sin and purifying from sin. The offerer is acknowledging that their sinfulness before God was so great that only a full and costly ransom payment would suffice. That is why the death of Jesus on behalf of sinners is described in Ephesians 5.2 with the language of the burnt offering. It says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 5, you are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. And then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So the atonement is accomplished by the animal's lifeblood, the giving of blood, which represents life. This was not a sprinkling, but refers to a larger amount of blood being 
literally thrown on the altar. Yeah, he doesn't say sprinkle, he says splash it against the side. So it's just like a whole bunch of a mess. Yeah. Verse six, you are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So there's that kind of aroma pleasing to God, as I I mentioned. God likes a good barbecue. Well, just like Jesus was a fragrant offer up to the Lord. Okay, the offering is burnt solely for the Lord. No portion goes to anyone else. Now, why wash the internal organs and the legs only? These are the parts that can have fecal waste on them, which is not holy and cannot be a fragrant offering when it's burnt. So they are washed. The Hebrew word for burnt offering is ola and literally means ascending. It was burnt up going vertically to God in the form of smoke. Similarly, after his death on the cross, Christ ascended vertically to heaven. All right, the next one is a burnt offering from the flock, which I'm not going to give any details for because it's just like the herd. Verse 10, if the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, you are to offer a male without defect. You are to slaughter it at the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall splash its blood against the sides of the altar. You are to cut it into pieces, and the priest shall arrange them, including the head and the fat on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to bring all of them and burn them on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And lastly, the burnt offering for birds, because no one was to be excluded from making atonement, and some people could only afford to just catch a bird. Verse 14, if the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, you are to offer a dove or a young pigeon. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off the head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He is to remove the crop and feathers and throw them down east of the altar where the ashes are. He shall tear it open by the wings, not dividing it completely, and then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is burning on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. What was the purpose for all these strange and bloody rituals? I've often asked the same (laughs) question. Well, ritual can do things beyond words or print on a page. Like letters in our alphabet, ritual communicates through symbols, but with greater impact because its meaning is visibly acted out. The young nation of Israel had no books and very short memory, as we learned in Exodus from the Golden Calf incident. The people needed to regularly see and be reminded that God was holy, that he had a relationship with them. They needed to act out in rituals their covenant relationship with God, or they were at risk of forgetting. These rituals connected the seen world they lived in and the unseen realm of God. Today, we have rituals such as the Lord's Supper that reminds us of the sacrifice he made so that we don't have to sacrifice animals. When we take the bread and wine of communion, representing his body and blood, we should remember how horrific his sacrifice was for us. 
how much it pained him to give his son, how bloody it was, and how unjust it was that this perfect man had to die for us. We cringe at the thought of the bloodshed in these animal rituals, yet do we just as passionately thank God for his willingness to sacrifice his own son's perfect, unblemished, sinless blood for us. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I will confess that there are many times that I've taken communion and not thought about that. Yeah. They say it. They say this is why we take it as the blood in the body. But you oftentimes don't really think about the gravity of what that means. Oh, I remember when the passion came out. So many people complained about how graphic it was. And and I want to say, well, but that's it, real life. That's what it was. All right. Chapter two is about the grain offering laws for the people. Grain offerings were burned as a pleasing aroma also and often occurred with the burnt offering. Mincha, the Hebrew word for the grain offering, meant gift or present. Therefore, the grain offering was generally thought of as a gift of thanks to the Lord for his mercy and for supplying their needs. There were three types of grain offerings, uncooked, cooked, and the first fruits. So first we have the uncooked grain offerings. Chapter two, when anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour. They are to pour olive oil on it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priest shall take a handful of the flour and oil together with all the incense and burn it as a memorial portion on the altar a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the food offerings presented to the Lord. The flour would have been most likely from wheat or barley. The incense put on it would have been frankincense, which was very costly and enhanced the pleasing aroma. And it is thought that about eight to 16 cups would have been given of the flour, which is a good portion. It was called the memorial portion to bring the offer to the Lord's remembrance. And a portion of this uncooked grain was given to the priests for their own use. All right, next we have the cooked grain offerings, which I'm not going to mention too much about. Verse four, if you bring a grain offering baked in an oven, it is to consist of the finest flour, either thick loaves made without yeast and with olive oil mixed in or thin loaves made without yeast and brushed with olive oil. If your grain offering is prepared on a griddle, it is to be of the finest flour mixed with oil and without yeast. Crumble it and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your grain offering is cooked in a pan, it is to be made of the finest flour and some olive oil. Bring the grain offering made of these things to the Lord. Present it to the priest who shall take it to the altar. He shall take out the memorial portion from the grain offering and burn it on the altar as a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the food offerings presented to the Lord. So three ways to do it. You can bake it, griddle it, or cook it in a pan. Either way. All the grain offerings had certain specifications, and and I am going to talk about those. Verse 11. Every grain offering you bring to the Lord must be made without yeast, for you are not to burn any yeast or honey in a food offering presented to the Lord. You may bring them to the Lord as an offering of the first fruits, but they are not to be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. So this comparison of salt and yeast was interesting because again, to them, God used visible things they could see and taste and touch 
to remind them of kind of life and his relationship with them. No yeast was to be used in burnt offerings because leavening yeast involves fermentation, which is a form of decay, think of your chemistry, and therefore related to death and impurity. So yeast, you know, creates fermentation, which is actually decaying whatever, like, yeah, that's not good to think about, but it sure does taste good in bread. Did it have anything to do with the fact that the bread, when they left from being in slavery, they weren't using yeast? No. It wasn't about remembering that. It was because everything you burned for God created an aroma to him, and it couldn't be anything impure. That's why you had to wash the legs of the animal, because no fecal man under that, that they did want to burn that because that was impure and yeast is impure because again it's fermenting whatever it's put in which is causing it to decay quicker so we're going to read more on death and impurity and life and holiness being incompatible uh, coming up but to burn anything that was impure would not be a pleasing aroma to god salt on the other hand was a preservative so the salt of the covenant implied a preserved covenant or a permanent covenant, and therefore was pleasing to God. The first fruits could have yeast as these offerings were cooked, but not burned. So we're going to read about those in a second. But just so you know, the first fruits could have yeast. Anything else burned could not have yeast, but everything had salt. Moving on in verse 14. If you bring a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, offer crushed heads of new grain roasted in the fire, put oil and incense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest shall burn the memorial portion of the crushed grain and the oil together with all the incense as a food offering presented to the Lord. So these were the burned grain offerings that had first been roasted. And you got to love the grain offerings. No blood. Love it. Plant-based toasty bread. Bread It was vegan. It was vegan. This is a vegan offering. <laughs> bread was often served with a meal of meat, and this completed the image of offering a meal to God. That's why they kept saying it is a it is a food offering to God. It also foreshadowed much in the New Testament of Jesus as the bread of life. All right, chapter three. These are fellowship offering laws for the people. Fellowship offerings were also called peace offerings. Like burnt offerings, fellowship offerings often accompanied the grain offerings. And there are two kinds of fellowship offerings, from the herd or from the flock. Chapter three. If your offering is a fellowship offering and you offer an animal from the herd, whether male or female, you are to present before the Lord an animal without defect. You are to lay your hand on the head of your offering and slaughter it at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall splash the blood against the sides of the altar. From the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord. The internal organs and all the fat is connected to them. Both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons are to burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering that is lying on the burning wood. It is a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. If you offer an animal from the flock as a fellowship offering to the Lord, you are to offer a male or female without defect. If you offer a lamb, you are to present it before the Lord, lay your hand on its head, and slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's son shall splash its blood against the sides of the altar. From the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord. Its fat, the entire fat tail cut off close to the backbone, 
the internal organs and all of the fat that is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. The fellowship offering was very similar to the burnt offering, except that only the best part of the animal was burnt. The fat in this culture was considered the best part. And I can relate because uh, a good juicy fatty steak on the grill certainly <laughs> smells good. The sheep in this in these verses, um, as in Exodus, we talked about this kind of sheep. We learned are those crazy looking broad tail sheep that still exist today with tails weighing up to 25 pounds. You can go Google it. They're very interesting looking. We're going to learn in chapter seven that the fellowship offering was consumed by three parties, the Lord, the priests, and the offerer to symbolize covenant fellowship between them. The purpose of this offering was to confirm their covenant relationship, the one between God and the people, by sharing a meal. And uh, this happened before in Exodus 24, episode 17, after the celebration of the book of the covenant, um, when Moses gave it to them and they had the celebration, they shared that meal. So again, fellowship offering. And one thing that we haven't covered yet is how he keeps on saying that this should be an animal offered that is without blemish. And I think that that also Mm -hmm. speaks to the heart because the purpose of this was for atonement, purification, making right the wrong. But it might have been tempting to just go, well, here's one of the ones I can bring. This one's an invalid anyway. It's probably not going to bring me as much money. I'm going to bring it. No, that's not what God is asking of us or them at this time to do. We are to bring him the best, the best that we have, because that is a sacrifice that comes from our heart. And that represents that we truly are sorry and that we really want to repent mm-hmm. and make right the wrong. And we learned that from Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. Cain brought the right offering. An, from, an offering, but God knew it wasn't from the best and it wasn't in his heart. It wasn't his best where Abel's was accepted and Cain got really mad. Verse 12. If your offering is a goat, you are to present it before the Lord. Lay your hand on its head and slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's son shall splash its blood against the sides of the altar. From what you offer, you are to present this food offering to the Lord. The internal organs and all the fat that is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering, a pleasing aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Wherever you live, you must not eat any fat or any blood. The fat was for the Lord because it was the best and considered, like we said, the first fruit, the best that there was. The blood was prohibited for several reasons. The blood represented the animal's life and therefore belonged to the Lord, the creator of life. This ordinance included the blood of animals wherever they ate, whether it was a fellowship offering or something they prepared in their kitchen for dinner. They were never to eat the blood. So where's the relevance today? The fellowship offering reminds us that healthy interaction with God doesn't always focus on problems and sin. No matter what our circumstances, there is always a reason to rejoice, to celebrate with God. Leslie Weatherhead said this, the opposite of joy is not sorrow, it is unbelief. Joy looks upward to God and onward to the hope he offers his people. So we hope you can be encouraged today after reading all of these laws. And first of all, thankful, like we said, that we don't have to go through this. We have Jesus and Jesus can forgive your sins and the offering that you bring him 
is your life and a pure heart that just desires to repent and turn from your ways and love and be with him and do the right thing. Love God, love people. That's all that matters. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.